Welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here today by my good friend Kevin O'Carroll. Kev. Hey Liam, how you doing? Get, get a load of this. Resident oh. Evil. Did I scare you? Oh my god. I think I have. I have shot myself. <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. We are going back and talking about the first three Resident Evil games, but a bit of backstory to how we came to this. Uh, Kevin and I intermittently over the last year or so <laughs> yeah. have been playing Resident Evil 6 online together. I think I've played it with you in four different places I've lived. This has been an ongoing <laughs> thing we've been doing. And we finished it there like last week. And it's often regarded as the worst Resident Evil, but we had it, it is pretty bad, but we had a good time with it. So when it came to do an episode together again, we were like, will we just do it on Resident Evil 6? And then we thought, will we do it on Resident Evils we like instead? Yeah, I think that's kind of a damning indictment of Resident <laughs> Evil 6. That we finished it, we were kind of on a high. We we're like, it's not as bad as people say. We had a good time with it. Do you want to talk about it? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think we'll get to it someday. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it on the back burner for now because this podcast has, has actually not done an, a Resident Evil episode yet. So I, I've been wanting to do one for ages because it's one of my favorite franchises. But I have a kind of a, an odd history with it where, no, not that odd, but like it's an integral part of my gaming childhood, as big as any of them. Like it, like I look back in, on the PS1 era when I was a kid, it's huge, but I didn't really play them. They were my brother's games. So kind of shout out to my brother, Dave, who was a mega fan, was and is a mega fan of Resident Evil. And my love for this um, series grew from watching him play Resident Evil games when I was young, because I was A, too frightened and too confused to buy them, <laughs> to play yeah. them. So I never really finished a Resident Evil fully on my own until the fourth one with the big action rebrand of the franchise. So the, mm-hmm. this original um, trilogy were games I pick up, I play them with friends, but I never really put a dent in them. What's, your, what's kind of your history with uh, with these games? Yeah, it's kind of along similar lines. I was thinking about it, and like my personal history with Resident Evil is pretty much my personal history with video games, with the exception of the Mega Drive. I think mm-hmm. I've owned a Resident Evil game on every console that I've had for the past yeah. 25 years or so. Um, like I had the... That's I'm remembering that I had the second one on N64, and now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm not sure if that was a thing. It absolutely was. It I was brilliant. Have that, okay. It might be worth money. Uh, it's probably in a box somewhere at home. Yeah, that was considered like super rare, or like uh, it came out like near the N64's like life uh, cycle, and it, apparently the graphics were incredible because the N64 usually couldn't do uh, pre-rendered FMVs, whatever you call them. Yeah, and yeah, sell it. <laughs> probably will. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's just been this sort of constant presence that as long as I've been playing video games, I've yeah. been playing a Resident Evil, I've been looking forward to a Resident Evil, or I've been disgusted with the recent Resident Evil. Yeah, there's kind of um, an up and down peaks and valleys of that franchise where it gets, it's really good, it has a golden era, then it gets bad, and it's kind of constantly doing that now. I think we're, in, we're kind of in the middle of a golden era of Resident Evil right now. For sure, but uh, and I think there was a golden era as well back in like the GameCube era, but uh, we're going back to what probably the you know the first golden era, obviously when the when the franchise started. And I um, was terrible. Well, we're going to talk about the first the first three. There the three yeah. PS one games, but uh, I think I think Resident Evil one at least was ported to the Saturn. So I don't think they're exclusive to PS one games for, for all yeah. intents and purposes. We're talking about the three PlayStation ones and in our history with them. But and I was uh, terrified of Resident Evil one. 
yeah. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I when it when it came into my house, it just like terrified me. And it's funny it it kicked off one of my biggest childhood childhood obsessions, which is zombies. <laughs> I, I always have the kind of uh, theory that children actually like really really like what scares them. You know, yeah. I was a big Alien fan. The Alien movies and the Xenomorphs terrified me when I was a kid, but I loved them. And with like Resident Evil, like the 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 classic the zombies are like such an homage to like the Romero zombies, like the Night of the Living Dead, the Dawn of the Dead. But for me, this was my introduction to this movie monster, to zombies. You know. Yeah, I remember you telling me a story, and now I'm thinking about it. I can't remember if you said it to me directly or on a previous episode of this podcast. Is, is this how, is this how my friendship is with you now? You can't remember if it's like direct conversations I've had with you or just listening to me. Don't take it personally. <laughs> my mind is just failing in general. Um, <laughs> but you told me that you used to be afraid of the physical disc uh, yes well yeah exactly because i watched my brother play it and the opening the first time you see that zombie the first zombie and it goes into a kind of a shitty by today's standards cutscene of the zombie eating a person and blood, and he looks back at you and it's i don't know it absolutely terrified me and i kept watching my brother play it and every time you know when you open a door in the resident evil game it gets into the little door opening cutscene yeah every time that happened i'd like run out of the room because i had it in my head that um you know it'll it would just it would just throw a, a zombie cutscene at me but even though that's not how uh that ha- that worked you know it, it, there was never a jump out scare actually resident evil 2 did have a jump out scare it on, did on, yeah on one of those fucking doors but we'll i know again ahead of ourselves here but yeah so much so that we had back and then we we had our gaming like in a tiny corner of our kitchen like we didn't have a, a room where, where all the games were and the sega mega drive and the playstation one were there beside each other and i wanted to play like sonic 2 or something or something wholesome on the, on the sega mega drive and i was too frightened of it because the resident evil disc was in the playstation beside it that's fantastic it's childhood um, trauma is what it is because i yeah. still I, I still have like you look at it now and it's aged so bad not, not, not aged badly but it's aged you know yeah and it's no, just it's- this humorous funny ridiculous thing but i i, I have a lifelong kind of fear of the space that is resident evil 1 yeah, I remember being absolutely terrified of it as well. And like thinking back, I don't remember there ever being like a discussion with my parents about whether or not I should get it. I just <laughs> had it and like probably shouldn't have at that age. Because I got it, I think, at launch. So I would have been maybe seven. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. We would have been about seven. Yeah. Yeah. Just playing it on my own in the dark. Absolutely no, yeah. fucking terrified. I could barely do it when the controller wasn't in my hand. I could barely deal with it. But it, but it's funny to think of now because it's regarded as this um, accidentally comical thing. Yeah. You know, with the with the ropey voice acting, with the aged graphics. But at the time, it was pretty revolutionary. It's not the it's not the kind of birth of the survival horror genre. I think you have to look at like Alone in the Dark or something like that, or even yeah. the Clock Tower series. But it has an interesting origin, I think. It, w- it wasn't wasn't a remake of something in a way, in a w- in a weird way. Yeah, that's one thing that's really interesting about it is that sort of modern day the Resident Evil franchise has kind of been become synonymous with two things, which is movie adaptations and remakes. Yeah. Now, obviously, the the Resident movies are sort of uniformly and exclusively absolute dog shit. Um, I know. That that I don't know. There's some joy. To it. <laughs> I, I agree with you, but there's there's some there's some yeah. positivity to take away from their existence. Yeah. Okay. So so pleasantly fragrant dog shit. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting that that's sort of two of the big things that are associated with the franchise now, because the whole thing kind of starts um, in 1989 with the release of a game called Sweet Home uh, for the Famicom. Alabama. 
No, no, no just, Alabama. Just sweet home. This this was pre Alabama. <laughs> um so this game was uh directed by a guy called uh Takuru uh Fujiwara. Um and it is like a, this horror themed RPG about a team exploring a creepy mansion. Um the sort of the narrative is told through a mix of like cutscenes and notes and things scattered around. It's uh it's heavily focused on like puzzle solving uh to sort of get your progression. You have limited inventory space and managing it is like a core part of the gameplay. So these are all elements that would very much become part of what we now know as Resident Evil, but it predates it uh, back to the late 80s. Um, and this game was actually a, a, an adaptation of a Japanese horror movie. So then in the early 90s, uh, this guy Fujiwara, working at Capcom, decided to take another run at Sweet Home, wanted to make a, a newer version of it. With shiny um, 3D graphics. Well, no, actually it was originally intended for the SNES. Right. Um, so it, it's only then when sort of the PlayStation came along, they realized they could go whole hog and, and try to make it 3D as well. Um, so the project was given to a guy at Capcom called uh, Shinji Mikami, mm-hmm. um, whose previous sort of biggest credit at that point would have been the uh, SNES Aladdin game. Great game. Great game, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not, not to be confused with the Mega Drive one. Two different games. I, I, I've often thought, you know, in, in my quiet moments that can I get hey look listen episode out of the two different uh, aladdin games from the 16-bit era but alas not yet we'll see <laughs> someday we can do it yeah we'll, we'll maybe circle back around to that um <laughs> but can, just on that can you imagine that happening today like two games based on the same ip releasing in the same month on different consoles yeah i know yeah and like it, there was there was already a kind of a rivalry between super nintendo kids and mega drive kids and then and then you had to put aladdin into the mix you know which was a better aladdin and i think there's pros and cons towards both aladdin games but i think i'll always prefer the mega drive one because i grew up with it and it had the original music and the graphics were slightly better but the fully agree but the super nintendo one is probably mechanically better yeah and i think that might be the extent of what i can get out of that for (laughs) for i think if you want you can probably just edit out the previous like minute and release that as a mini episode (laughs) mini episode put it up on tiktok um so basically the story goes that uh shinji mikami was chosen as as the best guy to to lead this project um specifically as a horror project because he was sort of known as just this big old scaredy cat yeah which is hilarious i knew this as as well like it's so funny he's become one of the kind of um auteur horror game designer but his origins are because he was they gave him the job because he he knows what would frighten him because he's a scaredy cat yeah now from what i've read about him it seems that he is big into the horror genre he just is afraid of all of it yeah <laughs> and they, they figured that kind of made him uniquely qualified to make a big 3d horror game the yeah. kind of the instructions he was given was to just make something that terrifies you and he took that note and just ran with it um so yeah the, this remake of sweet home eventually ended up becoming what we now know as, as resident evil would have been biohazard on release yeah. in japan um so i can i find it kind of interesting that like a franchise that is known for its movie adaptations and remakes is built off the foundation of a remake of a movie adaptation yeah it's an odd frankenstein's monster of an origin story isn't it yeah i think am i right in saying like right when they decided that they weren't going to make this a, a sweet home remake they, they needed a new aesthetic yeah and they were just like um american action movies <laughs> yeah that's what we're getting at. All our main characters are going to be these badass, you know, policemen or whatever you call them, special tactics and rescue squad. 
Yeah, and I think that that's really obvious from the um, the, the the live action cutscene at the start of, of the original. One Resident of the Evil. main reasons why I uh, growing up, why I put the PlayStation disc, uh, sorry, the Resident Evil disc into my PlayStation was to just rewatch the opening cutscene of Resident Evil One. Sometimes with friends over and just like laugh. Yeah, it's one of my favorite artifacts of that era <laughs> of gaming. Yeah, the brilliant live action um opening which is just yeah. a classic and if you ever want to um look up a youtuber called justin wang i think his channel is just called wang he did a, a couple of great episodes on um finding where those actors ended up and who they were oh cool it's really yeah they were all um um uh, western people living in japan who spoke who spoke um english and they were living in japan there were i think half of them weren't even actors yeah that shows as you can tell because you, <laughs> you just put it on it's the opening it's the classic resident evil one setup it's uh uh the, the bravo team has gone missing and they have to send the alpha team into the arclay mountains to look for them and they get attacked by zombie dogs out in the field and they have to run into a mansion and it, it's great and then uh, it yeah. just but all the moments like you know um the only one who's not a main character, Joseph, when he gets killed, and it's just like a, he's like, <gasps> and then it cuts to Jill just standing there going, Joseph, and then they're yeah. shooting at nothing, and there's kind of puppets, and I love when Brad flies off in the helicopter, and then like for a second ago they were all running away from the dogs, but then it cuts to them and they're all standing side by side in the field going, no, don't go, and kind yeah. of looking forlornly at the sky. I can't really do it justice. Everyone just needs to watch it on YouTube. It's the best thing ever. It's fantastic. I think there's there's one bit where I think Joseph, before he gets killed, is like trying to shoot dogs with a shotgun, and he like he pumps and mimes shooting three times, but they only edited in one gunshot sound. <laughs> Pretty much every moment and every shot of that is ridiculous, and yet at the time it fucking terrified me. Yeah, but, but what's great about it as well is that, and it's so funny because it's kind of a thing I want to talk about in terms of like Resident Evil's aesthetic as uh, or its reputation as one of like the you know the seminal horror games. Mm. But it's aesthetic always kind of fought against being true horror because yeah. they almost like they wanted to kind of make a kind of an action movie, but kind of wrap it around the horror genre. And I think nothing is more emblematic of that, of how when that cutscene ends, it goes cast. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and there's this rundown of all the main characters, which is fucking action music playing. And it's just like Chris Redfield. And he's standing there and again, like, Albert Wesker, and he's combing, he's ha- slicking his hair back with a comb. Yeah. And it's not like, it's no Silent Hill. <laughs> you know, in terms of building atmosphere for a, a good a horror story yeah yeah it is utterly daft the, the whole thing is up on youtube and like you said i would fully recommend if you haven't played the game in a while it's worth going back to if you've never played it even if you've no interest in playing it just watch this cutscene. it is fantastic and, and and then the game starts and you get yeah. creepy, creepy text on the screen and then then you get the graphic and you get just like I know it's like famously bad and it's like dated, but it, everything about it is so PS one. You know, yeah. for me, it's just like it, it's the most PS one thing ever. The sound effects, the kind of for lack thereof, yeah. kind of want to talk about it. Like, is Resident Evil accidentally or purposefully super atmospheric uh, with its uses of silence? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. Is it is it a limitation of yeah, I, the design, or was it intentional? I couldn't say, but it definitely works. Just the the, the clock in the ticking clock. The, like there's the, yeah. the screens with no music. The footprints. Uh, the, sorry, the footsteps. And then of course, like we gotta talk about the voice acting. You know. Yeah. Oh, I God. usually I usually played it as Jill, so you can play as either Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine, and that's essentially kind of normal and easy mode. Mm. Uh, 
it's actually more more interesting than that because uh, yeah, Jill has kind of more item space and she gets a lock pick and she can uh, unlock some doors that Chris can't. But it's also uh, narratively different, which is actually a really cool setup. Uh, if you're going to make kind of easy and normal mode, that's like a, a really cool way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It, was, it, it rewards people if they finish the easy mode and want to go back and try the harder version that they do get yeah. a different experience as well, you know? Chris doesn't start with a gun. He just has a knife and stuff like that, you know. It's, uh, but um, I just always used to play as Jill usually because she was easy mode. So I just remember as soon as that game starts, it's like, no, don't open that door. <laughs> but Chris is, what was that? <laughs> and then later on, it's just like you and Barry are investigating. What is it? Blood. I hope this isn't Chris's blood. <laughs> Jill, yeah. why don't you see if you can find any more clues? I'm going to study this. <laughs> I just fucking love it, man. Yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, and the uh, the, the infamous Jill sandwich line. Yeah, yeah, you almost you almost got turned into a Jill sandwich, or a Jill, take this lockpick. After all, you are the master of unlocking. I think they're all staff for Capcom America. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's what was unearthed years later that there was like, there was no voice actors hired. They were just whoever was working over in the, the, the Capcom America, and yeah, and yeah, you, we're, you, we're de- you, you wouldn't you wouldn't change it. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're definitely not dealing with the, uh, the the Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker of their day, you know. <laughs> we're not breaking out the A team here. They're not Alpha team, you know. <laughs> Alpha team. But what's so interesting? Because I don't want to just talk about Resident Evil One and make fun of it. There's a yeah. lot to make fun of, but as a game. It's actually a really good game. Yes. It's very difficult, but it's very good. And it and it, and I'm talking both in terms of its um its, its its game design in terms of its like its level structure and its puzzles and I'm also yeah. talking about just as a a very kind of uh, important step in um game development in terms of um, entering like the world of 3D games and a bit more atmosphere. I think it's one of the important ones from that era. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um it, it, it's something we've we've both mentioned already is that it, it is kind of dated by modern yeah. standards. Actually, it got it got quite dated quite quickly, but it was very innovative in their use of sort of three D character models um, against like a, a fixed two D background yeah. using like fixed camera angles to give a real sense of the space that you were in, but doing it in a way that was you know worked within the confines of the, the technology they had at the time. You know, yeah, and it's. Uh... The mansion is one of the all-time greatest gaming settings, surely. Absolutely, hands down, yeah. And I, it wasn't called the Spencer Mansion yet. I think it got that name in its remake. I could be wrong there. Resident Evil fans, uh, write in a PO box. No, I, I think so. No, I you're right. Think, yeah. yeah, I don't think it was called Spencer Mansion yet. But uh, regardless, let's uh, just call it Spencer Mansion. Um, it's just so iconic, and it's such a difficult space to navigate and to unfurl it like like a like a game long puzzle, you know. Yeah, that that is the the interesting thing is that it's a game where you complete a series of puzzles to progress, but the overarching puzzle is simply navigating the space that you're confined in. You know, yeah. There's the mansion, and then later on you're out you're out in a courtyard, right? Yeah, there's a courtyard. There's some like guest house a, building guest or something. House. Yeah, with yeah. giant spiders there, and mm-hmm. there is like a, a lab, a cave, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's. That's the thing we didn't talk about in terms of um the, t- the type of horror that Resident Evil is, and like yeah. it's not um it's not Silent Hill, it's not psychological. No, it's it's big, it's zombies, it's giant spiders, it's very B movie stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's like you said earlier that it didn't 
create the survival horror genre. But I yeah. think that I think the term was coined for this game. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So what to you, Liam, are kind of the tenets of survival horror? What makes a survival horror game? It's dogs jumping through windows. Mm-hmm. No, no, but that, but that is one of the most iconic moments. In this, that, that's, uh, but no, it's um, Kev, it's um, item management, it's inventory management, it's uh, a lack of ammo uh, or an overabundance of ammo. So it's making every shot count. And outside of that, it's having um, having to juggle all that while also trying to navigate a world that's essentially a big puzzle. Yes, yeah. getting keys and learning where to use the keys and. In Resident Evil 1, and all the Resident Evils are going to be talking about, any old Resident Evil as well, to the, uh, they kind of hammered this down to the point where saving your game is a, is a mechanic. Yeah. You can't save your game unless you have an item called an ink ribbon. You need to take it to a typewriter. So if you play badly, you're suddenly at a kind of point where you might not be able to save your game. So I, I think that's a bit harsh, but uh, kind of iconic. But yeah, yeah. That, that, that's what I think of. It's all those things. It's, it, it, I don't call it a survival horror unless, you know, I'm running out of ammo or yeah. i'm running back to a place to grab an item or i'm figuring out where to use an item if, if it doesn't have that it's just horror yeah absolutely and so would you think that uh games like soma or outlast you know these these first person horror games where there wouldn't necessarily be item management or even weapons of any kind would you see those as the sort of spooky walking sims are yeah. they a different a different thing so they're a different thing, and it's not that's not a bad thing. I mean, there's room for different genres, and and the unfortunate thing is that um, gaming genres in general were just kind of you know haphazardly named as the culture of gaming grew, and they're all kind of bad. Like yeah. a JRPG and an RPG, you know, essentially means like a Japanese role playing game or a role playing game. But you know, I know though I know those two genres to be completely different, and their yeah. names don't really kind of uh, summarize what they are. And I think yeah, I for me. Yeah, those games are not survival horror games. For me, like you can't just tack on survival horror onto any game with a horror theme. Yeah. Uh, so uh, survival horror is Resident Evil. It's uh, Silent Hill. It's something like uh, Alien Isolation to get a more mo- kind of modern one. You know. Yeah, for sure. I think I, I'd, I'd agree with everything you said there. I think the you don't have to. Well, I, I did. Okay, but just let you know it's on record. Not a, that's not a. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me the big point of what would delineate uh, specifically a survival horror game from other kinds of horror games is what you mentioned with the um, sort of inventory management type stuff. I think that's key. I think it's having limited resources and having limited space to deal with those resources is a key part of it. Um, But I do think the term inventory management when describing a game mechanic, if someone hasn't played these games, (laughs) has to sound like just tedious busy work well it's very marmite-ish isn't it yeah especially when you go back to these old games i can understand uh players frustrations with you know finding a key item like here's a key you need but you don't have any space in your um your inventory so you've got to run back to a box and you know do some item shuffling but uh, that's part of it you know yeah that's part of it for me yeah, it's absolutely part of it. It's it's forcing you to make the decision, like, do you want to bring that one extra clip of ammo? Yeah. Or do you risk leaving that slot in your inventory open so you can pick up an item and risk getting caught out by four zombies and not having the bullets to take them down, you know? Yeah, and then, yeah, then the other thing is, like, you know, either by either by the game's difficulty or the fact that you're frightened by it, as a lot of people would be playing it, is, is then you have to juggle all that 
while being in a space you don't want to be in. So yeah. You often have to backtrack through places. And um, Resident Evil 1 um, is harsher than probably any Resident Evil game that comes after it in terms of um, it, it balancing. So you yeah. really can kind of fuck yourself up and put yourself in a corner if you haven't been using um, your, if you've been maybe overusing guns and stuff like that. And you kind of have to leave enemies alive in Resident Evil 1. You have to leave this card or with a zombie in it. You have to, or later on when you're fighting worse monsters like hunters and stuff like that, you, you well, you better kill all the hunters actually. But yeah, I'm just yeah. saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, a part of what makes a survival horror survival horror, what makes old Resident Evil old Resident Evil is that it's not just having to backtrack and kind of get lost and try to figure out where you're going next. It's doing those things while being in hostile spaces and while being frightened and not wanting to be there. And that's kind of what sets it apart from like, if I'm playing a game like Outlast uh, or something like that, which is more kind of a linear walking slim horror game. And I have been frightened by those games, but I've said this in the podcast before, what really scares me about these type of horror games is, is that aspect of it, is, is the ability to do it wrong, the ability to have to be, yeah. the, 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 the purpose to have to be careful the entire time, you know? If I don't have ammo to look after, I just feel m- much more powerful, you know? And you don't want to be empowered in a horror game, I don't think. Yeah, big time. And I think that is one of the things that I take issue with with some of the Resident Evil games is sometimes by the time the third act rolls around, yeah, you can true. feel too powerful. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's definitely true. That's definitely correct. I think the best ones might have a kind of um, up and down with it, you know? Yeah. I remember, I remember for this podcast replaying Dead Space, and I, I think that's like a, that's very old now, but for me that would be a more, a more modern um, example of the genre. And I thought that actually did that expertly of having kind of moments where I had a lot of ammo and feeling powerful, but then putting me into scenarios where I'd have to use a lot of it and going through yeah. maybe an hour of gameplay where I was struggling. I think that's a good kind of, cause you don't want to, I don't know. I, I don't think developers want people to turn off the game either, you know, out of, yeah. out of frustration or out of despair. So I think that's a good thing, but I don't think Resident Evil one has that Resident Evil one is actually the original PS one one now is actually very harsh in terms of that kind of thing. And you're, you're not likely to feel very powerful in it, I don't think, because of just the, the demands of the game and the, and the eventual... Like you saw, so how the game is structured is you leave the mansion for a while to go to other places, and when you come back, the zombies have essentially been replaced by stronger enemies called hunters, which are... What are they? Frogmen? Lizards? Yeah. Lizard, lizard boys? Some and, kind of and they can lop things. your they can lop your head off at one swing, so they are, they are very, very frightening. <laughs> so... I think later Resident Evils would uh, balance that better. Yeah. But at the same time, there's there's something to be had about Resident Evil One being, you know, <laughs> what's the most what's the what's the what's the most horrific thing you can do? Make a game that's fucking deadly. <laughs> you know, just make it really yeah. hard. And then combine that with fixed camera angles and the the infamous oh, tank controls. Yes, yeah. I forgot we I gotta got talk about that. The controls. I have really fond memories of playing this game with my friend Pan Noonan. And he just could not get his head around the controls at first. And it was really funny watching him fight the first zombie. And he literally couldn't even walk forward. Yeah. He'd be like backing, revert, like reversing his guy, like, oh God, <laughs> reversing his character away. Tank controls, yeah. for people who don't know, is essentially kind of a, a style of a control scheme that was kind of popularized by Resident Evil, which means no matter what way you're facing up on the controller is forward. And you've got to kind of turn your character laboriously with left and right and then press up to move forward. So it's kind of more like, character kind of controls more like a tank or a vehicle than a, than, a, than an actual human yeah and like i said combining that with the the fixed camera angles that will have like breakpoints where if you reach a certain point the camera will cut to the next view 
I like I like to fix cameras of all Resident Evil games, though. I think no, I do. A, yeah, there's a certain degree of it being directed and uh, trying to be a bit nasty, uh, trying to obscure your view at, at crucial moments. You know. Yeah, I, I love all that. It's it's specifically how the tank controls interact with the the change of camera angle, especially if it happens while you're in combat, is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you shoot yeah you you shoot your shotgun and the whole animation takes you through two camera angles back and forth because your character is like jerking <laughs> slightly back into the other camera. Yeah. I suppose it's worth touching briefly on the plot of the game. Um, plot? Resident Evil, <laughs> Resident Evil games have plot? Yeah, that's does basically the whole, point. Does it have this whole interconnected, you know, decades of lore that people seem to care about? I don't believe it. Yeah, Wikipedia tells me that it does. I haven't seen much evidence of it in the games. Ah, look, I, I'm, I'm only joking. I love the Resident Evil story and characters, but it is a bit shite. Yeah. But that's kind of part of it. Like, it's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's kind of... I suppose the, the, the overarching plot of the whole thing is that there's this biotech firm called Umbrella that have developed a virus that turns people into zombies and the virus has accidentally gotten out, except maybe it's not an accident. Maybe oh. it's a conspiracy. And it kind of... Even even in that first game, very early on, it devolves into that sort of, you know, the really easy, like, route one, obvious conclusion where a lot of zombie media ends up where it's like, what if people are the real monsters? <laughs> what if people are the Resident Evil? <laughs> yeah. And and you just instantly like, no, the monsters are the monsters. Focus on them, you know? The real mon- What Resident Evil 1 teaches us is that the, what the real monster is, is people who wear sunglasses indoors. Actually, I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's, that's a good message. That's the message. So I suppose we've touched on a lot of things that we both liked and disliked about the first game. Um, particularly what's come up a lot is how it has aged. Um, and we mentioned that, you know, it's not only is it aged by today's standards, but it kind of aged pretty quickly you did even back in the 90s yeah yeah um and we're not alone in thinking this uh shinji mikami also had that opinion which is why in 2002 he did a remake for the nintendo gamecube (laughs) resident evil had our capcom had a deal going on with nintendo at the time and they were um making a lot of games that were just for on nintendo consoles which is so odd looking back at it you know that the resident evil one remake was uh was a GameCube exclusive. But I've talked about this game before on this podcast, I think, and I, I did a written thing on, uh, I did top 20 GameCube games on Instagram, mm-hmm. if anyone wants to look at that. Uh, but Kev, you and I have a, a, a nice shared history with it. Yeah, absolutely. We um... um, If people know, hey, look, listen, lore, <laughs> they'll know that I boofed my leg a few years ago. <laughs> I, yeah. I done gummed up my leg a few years ago, and I you boofed it of, so bad, buddy. I, I boofed it so bad, I had to bring my bed downstairs, and my leg was completely green, and I was in a cast. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, during that time, I played a lot of games, and one of the things was that my good buddy Kev used to call over with some beer, mm-hmm. and we decided to just play a bunch of Resident Evil games together because, like I said, I used to watch my brother play them when I was young, so even though I put big dents on it in a few of them. I hadn't actually finished any of them um, like before Resident Evil 4. I hadn't actually finished any of them. And I still haven't technically since I, I did it with you. But yeah, we'd drink cans and we'd like yeah. pass the controller back and forth and we'd play um, we'd play them together. And it, to, to kind of date that thing, I think we were listening to a lot of Childish Gambino Redbone at the time as well. 
That makes sense. And that also the, the the Final Fif- Final Fantasy Fifteen soundtrack. That's right. We were both really into Final Fantasy Fifteen at the time, and we're yes, yeah, God, to, to be young again yeah. in, in our late twenties. <laughs> but, but yes, and um, we played um, a bunch of. We actually, the next three game, uh, the next we played Resident Evil Two and Resident Evil Three together as well. But we played the Resident Evil One remake together, and uh, I genuinely think it's one of the most perfect games ever made. Without hyperbole, it's it's a masterpiece. Yeah. No, I I absolutely agree with you it is one of my all-time favorite games i think it is your it is your favorite resident evil isn't it it is yeah 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 Uh, mine is four mine is resident evil four but my second is resident evil one remake i think that is the duality of man right there yeah it's it's a point that i have labored over with you previously that i will agree i think in principle that resident evil 4 is the best video game with resident evil in the title but it's not the best resident evil game yeah, yeah, i'll allow it you know usually when you say that to me to my face i just spit spit on you but like you know yeah right now on the podcast i'll be respectful i appreciate it but yeah go on you love this game go on. why is it why is it what did it what did it change what did it improve upon the first one do you think what's the key a lot. It, it basically took everything that the first game had done right and amplified that while kind of papering over a lot of the cracks that were there originally. First and foremost, and most dramatically, I think it's the visuals. Um, still look amazing. Still day. look so good. Particularly there was that uh, that HD re-release. Yeah. Um, was that, did that originally come on PS3, PS4? Four, Whatever. Four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That HD re-release is absolutely gorgeous still. It, um, they still use the, the 3D models over the 2D rendered backgrounds, but they've just sort of... I think it's lighting. Is it lighting is exactly it. There's, there's despite this sort of, the fact that they're 2D rendered backgrounds, they, they, they're lit like 3D spaces. Yeah, there's this really high contrast between light and shade that kind of really gives a sense of, of, of depth to the, the presentation. It, it, like, it really draws you in. Um, they also use like... 3d animations over the 2d background for things like running water and stuff um and it helps that just sort of the the art style and art direction of the game are impeccable like the 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 visual design of it is absolutely stunning yeah the original resident evil because it's on the ps1 it's just the, the, the mansion is just so kind of flatly lit and kind yeah. of bare and just kind of you know and but this one is just like um it feels like you've wandered into a mansion in the middle of the night, you know, it's, and then it's really atmospheric and quite scary. And the sound design is also fantastic in it. Yeah, it is excellent. Um, they've also improved the control scheme, which was a big step up. Um, well, they, they improved it tenfold in the PS4 um, re-release of a Kev. Yeah. But they actually got rid of tank controls. But if you played this back in the GameCube, it still had the tank controls. I thought, did it not have, was there not a thing where you could like hold down or and move freely with the analog? I don't think so. No, am I misremembering that? All right. Maybe not. And I see this is in any time in life, anytime anyone kind of challenges me in any way, I lose all my confidence. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. who knows? Yeah. So who knows? Yeah, I'll defer to your judgments. Anyway. Well, anyway, the, the tank controls are gone by the time you get to the version that's available today. Anyway, yes, and it plays um, much better. Yeah. It plays much better. It's so good. But they kind of it's it's an example of a remake that clearly knew what had worked with the first game. And yeah. knew how to like drill down into that to get the most out of it. They reworked a lot of the puzzles in the game to make them a bit more engaging. They've expanded the mansion itself. There's more some more areas. Um in terms of the like the plot of it, 
Uh, we mentioned earlier that the, the Spencer Mansion wasn't called the Spencer Mansion in the first game, but this is where they, they've introduced a little bit of lore about that. Yeah, the background of who, who owned the mansion, um, why it's designed like a bunch of puzzles. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's something that shows up in pretty much every Resi game is that the locations make absolutely no sense um, and i appreciate that they made like at least a passing attempt to try and yeah. hand wave it away by explaining it's this mad architect guy <laughs> yeah um i think that's that's something we'll get back to in relation to resident evil 2 as well is mm-hmm. just bonkers location design um but the, the sort of the main reason that i love the remake of one so much is one mechanical change that they made with regards to the enemy design, that's the introduction of the crimson heads. Yeah, and it's one of the best innovations in the game, and also one of the worst because it scares me. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it genuinely it's fantastic, but it makes the game so much more nerve wracking to play. I think, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. So for anyone who's not uh, familiar with it, the, the way it works is sort of similar to the original game. You're exploring the mansion, you're running into zombies, you're conserving your ammo, but you're trying to kill them as much as possible. The difference is that after you kill a zombie in the remake, the body stays on the ground. And over the course of playing the game, you're going to have to backtrack to get items. You're going to back, back through rooms multiple times. And when enough time has passed or when you've been back through a location enough times, that zombie will reanimate as a crimson head um which is like a a faster stronger more aggressive zombie mm-hmm. that are frankly an absolute fucking nightmare to deal with um especially if you leave a lot of uh, dead zombies around yeah and you kind of completely gum up your own game <laughs> yeah crimson so heads. you you can avoid a zombie turning into a crimson head in kind of three ways um you can kill the zombie with a headshot Mm-hmm. which is all well and good, but requires careful aiming. And if you miss, that's a wasted bullet in a game where bullets are at a premium at all times. Um, you can take the zombie down normally, but then after he's dead, you can burn the corpse. But that again requires a resource. You have limited gasoline available. And specifically, there isn't enough gasoline in the game to, to burn every, every zombie, zombie course. Yep. So you have to choose which ones. If this, is some, if this is some side room that you've completed the puzzle in, and you're probably not going to pass through it. Maybe just leave that zombie in that room, turn into a crimson head. But if it's a corridor, you're going to pass through a bunch of times while you're navigating the mansion. Maybe yeah. burn those things. You need to. You're constantly um, having to make these choices. Yeah, and I suppose the, the third option is something that you mentioned earlier: is that you can try to just run past, run past them. Just run past them. Yeah, that's yeah, completely viable in every Resident Evil game. In fact, it's essential sometimes. Yeah. And it's it, it also nerve wracking because you like it, it, it get me. You know you've left a crimson head in this room, and you don't want to waste the ammo to kill him. And just every time I have to go back through that room, I just kind of get a kind of a stomach lurch. I'm just like, oh god, yeah. I got to go back through here now. Yeah. It's, I know it's I've left a, Evelyn here. <laughs> it's such a such a genius little twist because it's it's you know it's a small thing, but it 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 affects the entire sort of gameplay loop. Where yeah, you, your usual play is like find ammo, kill zombies progress find more ammo kill more zombies but this adds a sort of a layer of decision to every single zombie you encounter we have to think do i have enough ammo to kill him but you're also thinking on top of that like how often am i going to be coming back through here do i have the gasoline to spare to burn him should i try risk going for the headshot am i better off just avoiding him it means every single encounter with every you know basic enemy suddenly becomes this decision that could have ramifications and knock-on effects throughout the rest of the game yeah, and there's more, and there's stuff like they just put a door in the game that breaks after you use it a certain amount of times. So yeah, you kind of strategically decide how many times you're going to use that door, and and if it breaks, you have to take a longer route uh, around the mansion to get where you're going. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's, it's a this nightmare. Thing, <laughs> it is. It is a nightmare, but it's a fantastic one. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It basically it turns the the basic gameplay, the basic combat gameplay into a resource management puzzle that you have to solve. Where you're like, mm. do I have enough bullets? Do I have enough gasoline? Do I have enough time? And it, it turns navigating the mansion itself into it's like it's like playing a game of snake on a rubik's cube you're, yeah you're, yeah you're it's constantly the, like twisting and turning your mental map to work out not only what is like the fastest route between two points but what's the safe route yeah. like are you better off going upstairs taking a different corridor coming back down from the other side to avoid a corridor that you might have left two crimson heads in so you're constantly aware of the space and your place in it it, yeah, it remains Resident Evil's greatest bit of level design, I think. Absolutely. Um, and, like, there are obviously other locations here. Um, oh, yeah. The, you know, again, the, the guest house, the caves, the, mm-hmm. the now obligatory underground lab. Gotta have um, an underground lab in a Resident Evil game. You can yeah. get your money's worth. But um, it is really the Spencer Mansion that that sort of first main area is where the game absolutely sings. Um, it's it's on all platforms now i think it's regularly on sale for under 10 bucks if anyone listening to this has any interest in playing a survival horror game and hasn't played a resident evil get this one you will yeah, not regret it that's the one you have to play to, to play the best example of a classic resident evil game it is the resident evil 1 remake the original resident evil um one of the main reasons the remake got made was because the first game sold like gangbusters. Yeah. It was an absolute juggernaut when it came out. I believe it was for a time the top selling PlayStation game. Right. Um, it sold something like 4 million copies in its first year, which by modern standards is pretty good. But for 1996 yeah. is bonkers numbers i just remember everyone talking about it as well it was one of yeah. those games it just felt like a cultural moment uh we didn't have many you don't have many when you're a kid so you really remember all of them you know yeah yeah and i think it's it's off the back of numbers like that it was kind of inevitable that it was going to get a sequel resident evil 2 immaculate well done i just love when he does that i love when he pauses and then says the thing but yes let's move on to resident evil 2 the Second Resident Evil game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I but love not, this game. Yeah, but not chronologically the second one. Uh, is it not? Is Resident Evil Three set before it? Zero. Oh, zero. I was about to like say, isn't three set in the same time as two? But then it is. Yeah. Zero and zero. So Resident Evil is the second Resident Evil game chronologically. Yeah. Resident Evil Two um, is the third. But luckily, we're not talking about zero. Yes. In this in this episode, because I don't want to. Yeah, because it is fine at best. It's, yeah, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Resident Evil Two, Kevin. I think. Um, I think for a lot of people, I think the Spencer. I, I think you and I might um, have a conversation about how the Spencer Mansion and the setting of Resident Evil One and the Jill Valentine, the Chris Redfield, the Albert Wesker mm. is kind of the iconic Resident Evil thing. But I think for a lot of people, Resident Evil Two is the iconic Resident Evil game. Yeah, absolutely. You see a, a lot of discussion online a lot of people would hold resi 2 up as kind of the pinnacle of this era of resi and i'm gonna um, straight i'm gonna i'm gonna begin by straight out saying uh, when, when we played this um when i bo- boofed my leg years yeah. ago my main take one of my main kind of observations after finishing it is i'm gonna go right in with this kev do it up is that it's sort of the easiest resident evil game 
it's sort of it's sort of the least complicated level wise level design wise it, it, it definitely nothing nearly as taxing as, as stuff you have to juggle in resident evil one or getting around that mansion mm-hmm. and it's a little bit more kind of um action focus even though it's very much a survival horror game it has kind of even more dna of a block action movie blockbuster in it yes yeah yet, yet you take every single element of that game though the characters the setting the music you know it, it's mm. there's a reason why it's iconic it, it is kind of just a perfect storm yeah absolutely absolutely yeah um and uh, i think maybe a reason that it has this sort of actionier feel is that um uh, Shinji Mikami, the creator of the first game, didn't actually direct this one. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think, I believe, who, who directed it again? Uh, Hideki Kamiya. Yeah, and he actually did want to make more of a kind of, he, he was more interested in action stuff, wasn't he? He went on to yeah. make Devil May Cry eventually, right? Yeah, Devil May Cry, yeah. Beautiful Joe, uh, yeah, Okami. Yeah. He was one of the co-founders of Platinum Games. He made the Bayonetta games. So action is very much his forte. Mm. But it's not like that, that kind of, I, we're not kind of trying to paint it that it feels like an action game. It doesn't, no. but it's very happy to have more kind of set PC moments, and kind of uh, like I said, um, it, like obviously there's areas to kind of that feel like big puzzles again, but they're smaller and much kind of ma- more manageable than uh, the, the mansion in Resident Evil One. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I suppose the the setting of the game this time around um, is it takes place sort of shortly after the events of the first game uh, within Raccoon City itself. To the city that the team in the first game had been dispatched from um and the the zombie virus has reached the city and the populace have fallen to the zombie plague and you're in this sort of not quite post-apocalyptic but mid-apocalyptic setting as the city has fallen to pieces around you um and you play as either claire redfield who is the sister of chris from the first game or as everyone's favorite leon (laughs) s kennedy stop projecting kev (laughs) yeah (laughs) I remember, um, I remember when this started popping up in magazines and in previews and stuff of like that. And uh, the whole idea of it being set in Raccoon City itself was just so exciting. Yeah. And I think it's a game that didn't quite live up to that. I think if you think of playing a classic Resident Evil game that's set within the streets of Raccoon City, you were more kind of looking at Resident Evil 3. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that might have been like a correction on their part. Because I think a lot of people thought Resident Evil 2 would be more set on, on the city streets. And that would be kind of... Um, one of its selling points, but it's not. You very quickly get put into kind of very Resident Evil locations. And at the time, there might have been a, a tad bit of disappointment for, from that with me. Like you begin the game on the streets and then you're kind of off it very yeah. quickly. But I don't really care anymore because if the Spencer Mansion is the most iconic Resident Evil location, then the second most iconic Resident Evil location must be the Raccoon City Police Precinct, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, It's another sort of puzzle box location in a similar yeah. vein to the spencer mansion one that makes even less sense as a puzzle box because yeah. it's supposed to be uh... yeah like it's supposed to be like a municipal <laughs> building it's, it's it's a police department move the statue to get the red jewel yeah, <laughs> so just, that you can get into the break room for your lunch yeah i'm just just imagining like a, a lawyer arriving to like represent his client who's like how do you get <laughs> how do i get down to the holding cells oh it's easy you just you know switch the eyes in the statue and push the pedestal <laughs> over you know go down go down one set of stairs up another uh, so, you know, third cell on the right, watch out for the liquor, you know? <laughs> yeah, before it became like a zombie hello, that must have been a nightmare of a place to work in. But it's um, it's smaller than the Spencer Mansion, but it is like the best part of that game. And I think another another thing that must be kind of said about Resident Evil 2 as well is that it introduced like the liquors. 
Yeah. Which I think need to be singled out. Other than actual zombies, are they like the best Resident Evil monster? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is down to the immaculate way the liquors are introduced. Yeah, when you see one through gameplay crawl across a window first. Yeah. Then you have and to fucking the, walk forward going, oh God, what's that? What was it, that? It's one of the best <laughs> examples of, of how the the games use the fixed camera angles to force yeah. you to push forward. As in, you you know there's something horrible up ahead, but it's not you can't spin the camera around to try to get a look at it. <laughs> you have to walk your character forward across the you know the break point or the threshold where you can't see what's up ahead, but you know the camera's going to flick and it's going to show you something terrible, and then it does. And it's a brain Fantastic. monster with a big tongue. Yeah. The kind of um, uh, evolution of the idea from Resident Evil 1. So in Resident Evil 1, you chose uh, you could chose to be Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine. Like we said, it was a kind of easy normal mode, but it also changed the story in, um, in various ways. It changed what characters you meet, uh, it changes the order of some things. Um, Resident Evil 2 took that even further, and it, it, it came on two discs. And one disc, one disc was the Leon disc, and one disc was the Claire disc. So depending on which one you put in, that's how you chose your character, which was, I know, maybe um, being excited about multiple discs is a very 90s thing, but I was always very excited about games with multiple discs, so it just felt so yeah. huge. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that's something I always loved with the, the Final Fantasy games. Is Yeah, yeah, finishing oh. a disc in Final Fantasy game felt like ending like yeah. a, a book, like if, if the first book done, you know, or something, you know. Yeah. But, um. They have differences in their stories as well. Um, Claire meets a young, annoying Moppet, Sherry Birkin, as kind of protected <laughs> child. Um, Leon meets um, Resident Evil fucking sex icon 801, <laughs> whatever, yes. way you want, whatever way you want to say it. Yeah, but, uh, the, the... Actually, sorry, Leon is, is Resident Evil sex icon, and Ada is just a wannabe. But, yeah, um... Ada is more of a fucking charisma vacuum. <laughs> We were just, I know, I we were playing Resident Evil 6 recently, Kevin and I, and we sometimes we were drunk playing it online together. And I, we we just got so angry at how Resident Evil wants us to be attracted to Ada. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's honestly, it's like it's like a teenage boy's idea of a sexy spy. I'm just, I'm not a big fan of her. I'm not, she's not my favorite character. Um, no. I don't know, I'm sorry, that, that derailed. But what, <laughs> but what I want to say is, the interesting thing in this one is, yeah, there was a difference in their stories. But the really cool thing is that if you finish the game with one character and then if you play it as the other character, that ends up being what they call the B game. And that ends up being what that character was doing while there are two stories storylines side by side. Yes, rather than being two different ways to experience variations on one plot, it's two different plots that kind of run side by side and eventually meet up thing. I think it's the yeah. coolest thing about Resident Evil 2. And then you can kind of decide kind of it's basically who gets the A game and who gets the B game, isn't it? Yeah. I, I don't know. What, what, what Have you landed on what? which is the best way to do that? I think it's Claire A, Leon B. Yeah, I think so. Um, is that something you mind, no? It, it sure, doesn't, I'm, I'm it sure doesn't bother me. I'm sure there's a Resident Evil discussion happening online right now, yeah. angrily protesting one, one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there is a, a canonical version yeah, as well. I'm sure there is. I, 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 I cannot make myself care. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then you have like uh, we didn't even talk about the kind of some of the iconic bosses from Resident Evil One. Like, there's a oh, giant yeah. plant. Yeah, but uh, plant forty two, plant <laughs> forty two. There's a big old shark in the remake. But I love the ones in Resident Evil Two. I love William Birkin. Yeah, uh, who's uh, the mad scientist villain who's slowly mutating into a gigantic eye monster that you fight. Yeah. You fight in different stages throughout the game of his transformation. 
yeah, it's great, great monster design. All right, it's um, yeah, some Cronenbergian body horror type stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then of course there's uh, Mr. X, mm-hmm. who's in the B game, who is a big hulking guy in a trench coat who hassles you a few times. He has some great moments, like seeing him walk towards the security camera and be yeah. punching it out, and then knowing uh, that he's in like basically one room over and he's after you. But uh, I think he'll be more relevant when we talk about the remake in a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was kind of the seed of the idea is there in the original game, but it's fleshed out much better in the remake. Um, yeah. And it, it it's an idea that shows up in three, really in three, three. and yeah. I suppose in seven as well, to a degree. Yeah, like kind of every um, Resident Evil game um, post Resident Evil Seven has had it in some capacity. Oh, true. I suppose eight does as well. With, eight um, does as well with Big Vampire Mummy. Big Vampire Mummy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're old Resident Evil games today. Old Resident Evil games. My sort of main slash kind of only problem with two is mm-hmm. it's the same one that I have with the first game, but it's just way more pronounced. Is that the game has its sort of puzzle box area and is never quite as good afterwards. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, it's true. Everything after the precinct is not as good. It's not bad. Nope, not bad at all, but it's just, it's not as good. And I think I quite it's, like the lab at the end, for example. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Particularly in the remake. I know we'll get onto that, but I think. Yeah. Well, the re- uh, well actually, Kev, let's just do it now. Because yep. I've always said that's one of my um, biggest negatives with, with the Resident Evil 2 remake is that it, uh, it kind of it, even more pronounced than the original that after you get out of the precinct, the game is just isn't as good, but it's far from bad. Yeah. But I think Resident Evil 2 is an excellent remake, if only because it doesn't overshadow the original. It's just kind of a different version of it, a different aspect of it. It's, you get you get a different experience from it. Because I think yeah. there's some people out there who thought it was sacrilegious that you have uh, a remake of a classic Resident Evil game and they change the fixed camera controls. You know, they'd actually put it behind Leon's shoulder, which changes the entire game. And there's maybe a part of me as well that thought maybe you're kind of losing one of the kind of most charming aspects of those old games, you know. But playing the game, it's not really the case at all. It just it just changes it very much, but it it, it changes it. I'm not even going to say for the better, but it just makes it a whole different experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's the that sort of over the shoulder camera angle that I suppose was introduced really in four um it just brings it brings you closer to the action as the player you know because you're right up there with leon or claire so that when you get swarmed by zombies it's not something that's happening at an angle from a fixed camera you know it's coming at you and it just sort of it ratchets up the tension in a way that is like just excellent the, the, the precinct is even better than it was in the original game. I'm not really up for pitting the two against each other. You know, I think Resident Evil 2 will always be a classic. And I think its remake is just a perfect remake. So I don't see the reason to kind of, you know, decide which is better. But I will say that the precinct section of Resident Evil 2 is an absolute masterpiece. And it's the closest the series has ever gotten to kind of recapturing the Spencer Mansion from the Resident Evil 1 remake. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you, you have things you have to worry about now. You have um, an influx of zombies that can enter the precinct through windows so you have to board up certain windows but uh, of course you don't have enough um, wood to block up every window yeah and then you have mr x and you have mr x and that is an absolute master stroke it's kind of there's there's a weird kind of um i'm kind of in a weird position of thinking about mr x as a mechanic he's essentially a big hulking guy in a trench coat who hunts you through yeah. the precinct uh, he does he's not there um initially but after you get a certain part in the game the precinct he's now hunting you um continuously and um it could be kind of a bad 
piece or not an, an annoying piece of game design because he kind of gets in your way. Like sometimes you're trying to solve a puzzle in a room or you're just trying to like have a breather and he's coming after you. But that's the point, isn't it? That's it's absolutely the, the point. Yeah. The game is not interested in you being comfortable. No, he is he is an unstoppable force and his sole purpose for existing is to fuck up your day. He's getting in your fucking way. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's brilliant because he's he's constantly on the move, but he's not that fast. You can outpace him, you can run laps around him. Yeah, he's kind of dumb, even as an AI. Yeah. I think I think he's even dumber than they intended him to be. Yeah. Like doors kind of mess with him. Yeah. And if you know your way around, you can kite him around the place, you can get him taking his time moving down corridors you can to, which will buy you time to do whatever it is you have to do but it's just this extra thing that you need to be constantly worried about in a game that's already trying to make you tense at all times you learn to like dread the sound of his footsteps which it's i think brilliant. It, it's, it's brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, like, it's brilliant to be able to hear him in other rooms or on a floor yeah. above you it's completely unnerving yeah i found the precinct really unnerving and I'm really unnerving it. Like, I, like I hadn't did a horror game in a long time. Like I said, it's that aspect of having to make these decisions of, of, of boarding up the windows, of leaving certain zombies alive. Not you really don't have, and really don't have enough ammo to um, kill zombies and all zombies in this game because the zombies are bullet sponges. Like even if you're shooting them in the face, they just absorb bullets, and you're kind of thinking, you know, I absolutely don't have enough ammo to kill every enemy in this game, and that's massively a part of the stress of it yeah that's that's entirely the point it kind of it very deliberately throws a lot of enemies at you early on to get you into that mindset as well um there's that bit where you 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 get into like the the east wing of the precinct um by like climbing under a a barrier door that's kind of partially up and the lights are out and there's just zombies everywhere (laughs) and it recreates it recreates some of the most famous bits in resident evil 2 in unexpected ways like i was waiting for the liquor to jump through the two-way mirror yeah of that you know and it kind of it plays with your expectations it's it but the precinct is it's also bigger they added parts onto it and if you know the story of resident evil 2 it changes it around in kind of fun ways as well yeah definitely it kind of there's there's enough there that if you are sort of a veteran of the franchise it will still keep you on your toes which is is very enjoyable one thing that it does that i absolutely fucking loved was on the B playthrough. Did you play it twice? I didn't. I didn't think you'd put me on pass like that. <laughs> Sorry. I have not um, done the B game of the Resident Evil 2 remake. I, I don't know why, because I'm a loser, I guess. Okay. Uh, well, this was a, a mild spoiler no, for, spoil for the B spoil. game. But um, the Mr. X shows up at a different point. Right. <laughs> so you, you've gotten used to him in the first game. You know when you progress to a certain point, he's going to show up. You're comfortable in the B game. You're expecting that because... You've seen him in the original, you've seen him in the A playthrough, and then he just shows up 20 minutes earlier out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> and you're and, dealing with him for longer then in the precinct, do you? Yeah. And, and, but like, it's such a shame that like, we're talking about this game, it's, it's precinct, 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 isn't it? Because I, yeah. like I said, I, like I said, I, it doesn't get nearly bad, like not even nearly bad, but there's definitely yeah. a drop in quality. How do we feel about the bit where you play Sherry? I didn't do it as Claire. You didn't, you didn't do it as Claire, sorry, yeah. No, I okay. played it as, as Ada, and I think you get trapped in a trash compactor or something, or a furnace. Yeah. For one bit. I had to share what, how to share your bits. Well, they're kind of... <laughs> we can talk about them in the original Resident Evil 2 as well, when you have to play as a helpless little girl for a little bit. Yeah. And run around and get bitten by zombies. Yeah, it, um, it goes about as well as it sounds. It's in a game that's kind of... The whole thing is pitched around this survival horror mentality where you're trying your best to conserve ammo to 
put yourself in a situation where you can get through and get past enemies to then have whatever power base you've built for yourself taken away to play as someone powerless rather than increasing the tension and making it more engaging you just feel like your hard work has been taken away from you and it's just mm. a bit that you have to suffer through before you can get back to the real game gotcha it's, it takes place in a new area doesn't it it's like an orphanage right yeah yeah, yeah it's brand um, new brand new i can't remember the plot around some the orphanage is linked in some way to the police chief is there any building in raccoon city that's not you know insidiously linked to some evil goings on i don't think so <sighs> off the top of my head no, <laughs> no. but it, like it just just to reiterate it, it is a shame that i there's few iconic moments in that second half of the game I remember yeah. Mr. X has a return. He's he's gone for ages, but he comes back in the lab and like it's so out of nowhere. Mm. And you're like you're in this place with these regenerating plant monsters who are a nightmare if you don't have a flamethrower. Yes. Actually that reminds me, Kev. You put me on blast, actually. <laughs> you you yeah. put me on blast for now. Didn't you like accidentally play this game on ultra hard mode the first time you played it? Because somehow you like missed every weapon or something? <laughs> <laughs> Not every weapon, but I I, I did miss <laughs> the flamethrower. Yeah. Um, which made that section with the plants nearly impossible. Yeah. Was it just a flamethrower? I thought uh, maybe I've embellished it in my mind of being some cartoonish thing, like you missed yeah. the shotgun as well or something. No, no. It's because I missed the flamethrower. When I got caught in the scenario with the plants, I had to use pretty much all my ammo for yeah. every other gun to keep Mr. X at bay. Yeah. Gotcha. So I ended, up play- I ended up playing the end of the game with like a handful of pistol rounds in the last boss fight. It was tough. <laughs> <laughs> it was good though it was tense yeah you mean you want to you, you don't want you want to be you don't want to be coursing through uh resident evil game do you? you want to be challenged in a way you played it in the 4d experience exactly yeah yeah shall we talk about resident evil 3 which is Please. called resident evil nemesis i believe doesn't yeah, even correct. have the three in the title now yeah you've got to put up with me uh as doing what I, what I what i will do at any house party i'm ever at telling my um my resident evil 3 fact you know Kev, did you know that Resident Evil 3 wasn't supposed to be the third Resident Evil game? I did know that because you've told me many times, but go ahead. <laughs> so, it's it's uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get past this quickly, but um, Resident Evil was exclusive to PlayStation for ages until um, Capcom um, started uh, making new deals. But one part of the deal was that, yeah, they could release Resident Evil for different consoles, but Sony and PlayStation had um, a, the right to the canonical next numbered Resident Evil game. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't if if it wasn't on a PlayStation console, it couldn't be the next direct sequel to Resident Evil. The problem with that was they were working on Resident Evil Three at the time for the Sega Dreamcast, uh, the first next gen Resident Evil game. So what ended up happening was they had to take the number three out of that game, which ended up being Resident Evil Code Veronica, and then the side game that they were making for the last few last like year or so of the PlayStation One's life, Resident Evil Nemesis, became the canonical number three. Even though Resident Evil 3 feels like a side story and Resident Evil Code Veronica feels like the next canonical sequel to Resident Evil. It has the Code Veronica has like, you know, the reunion of Chris and Jill Redfield, which was like a dangling thread from Resident Evil 2. It has a return of mainstay villain Albert Wesker. Now now he has Matrix powers. It has, you know, you know, it has it's the evolution of next of, of the next chapter of the story, if you care about that. But Resident Evil 3 Nemesis feels like a side story even though now it's the official one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, uh, for those who don't know, um, I think we want to mention it earlier, but uh, Resident Evil 3 is set at the same time as the yeah. the two plot lines of Resident Evil 2. 
uh, within Raccoon City as well. They're kind of all taking part, taking place at the same time, which is cool. Which is cool, yeah. What I'm what I'm saying is what what it's not is the next canonical sequel in the Resident Evil franchise. I think yeah. I'm just a little bit bitter because I actually think Resident Evil Three Nemesis is better than Code Veronica. Oh, on, Code Veronica, yeah, but Code Veronica has just kind of been swept onto the carpet, you know, and yeah. it's an important chapter in the grand scheme of things. So I know it's outside the scope of, of what we're talking about in general today, but Code Veronica, for me, is the Resident Evil game that would benefit the most from a remake. Yes, because there's there's the core of something interesting there, but the actual product that's available now is frequently pretty questionable. Yeah, I, I, it was really, it was it was really audacious at the time, and it felt really different and it felt really fresh. But both in gameplay and in its depictions of certain things, it's, it very much feels like a game from two thousand that's yeah. aged pretty badly. So may, yeah, so maybe that's why, like, because I, I was saying, you know, because all the Res- all Resident Evils have been remade, and the latest one that's just got announced uh, at the time of recording is, is Resident Evil Four being remade, and I, I'm going to buy it day one. I really want it. I really, really want it. To go. Don't get me wrong, I'm so excited, but I really don't believe that Resident Evil Four needs a remake because um, it, the original has aged so well. But if you're going to make this new kind of modern retelling of these games, why not remake Code Veronica? You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Or maybe that's why they're not doing it, Kev, because it has some questionable shit in it. Yeah, maybe maybe there's some stuff that's that's best left consigned to the bin of history, you know? They could also rewrite it. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd hope so. But you know what? That's, that, that covers that. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Code Veronica will have its place on this podcast someday, but Nemesis. Yeah. Let's talk about Nemesis the game and Nemesis the monster, man. How iconic. Oh, yeah. Massively iconic. Um the the sort of the monster design the character design for him is is between the name and the design it immediately <laughs> communicates yeah, what this guy is about it's a good point i like that yeah like he is if if mr x is there to fuck up your day into nemesis he's he's gonna make your whole week you know well nemesis is the first time that that they tried this thing that's become kind of a mainstay of the, of the franchise now where a monster that's hunting you yeah, and Mister X in the Resident Evil Two remake has uh, kind of become almost like the iconic one now. But it all started with Nemesis, didn't it? Back on the PS One, and he was he was brilliant because, like you said, he's design. He he's just this big toothed brain monster in like uh, he's wearing leather and he has a rocket launcher. He's yeah. just ridiculous. He's so over the top. He like and that's what's great about him. But what's really great about him is that, like, like you said, he hunts you. But this was the PS1 era where you're going through pre-rendered backgrounds and screens and fixed cameras, you know. But he broke the rules. He yeah. could follow you through doors, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> but the really funny thing about that was he couldn't because they didn't have an animation for him opening a door. So you were safe as long <laughs> as you could see the door on the screen. Yeah. But as soon as you move and then the, ca- the fixed camera changes, you can just hear the door slowly opening. <laughs> Not slowly, but just kind of like, like the creaking yeah. door. And then like, stars. And he's running in the room after you. Because the plot of this one is that you play as Jill Valentine uh, in Raccoon City. And there's a monster called Nemesis who's trying to hunt down all the people who were involved in um, Resident Evil 1. Uh, the members of the stars, the special tactics and rescue squad. And yeah, that's it really. And this was the one that... What I believe, I, I, it really capitalized on the setting more than Resident Evil 1 because you spend a long time at the beginning of Resident Evil 3 actually on the streets of Raccoon City. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it kind of, it's it's a bit of an attempt by Capcom to apply the sort of 
puzzle box location design that we've seen in the Spencer Mansion and the RCPD and apply that on an open area. So you're navigating. <laughs> it just gets really funny sometimes because yeah. you're on you're on the streets of Raccoon City and you're solving these like elaborate puzzles involving fountains and putting gems and things and like I think never that I can't remember the exact puzzle unfortunately but you're doing this big elaborate puzzle and and it opens up this secret hidden compartment in a slab and there's jumper cables in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like okay okay who who'd invent who made this and put the jumper cables in there as the kind of grand treasure to be revealed. Yeah, yeah, like you, 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 I don't know, you, you put a crest in a fountain or something and it slides <laughs> yeah. open. It's, it's, it's brilliant cables. though. It's just brilliant fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I suppose uh, this game had a couple of innovative mechanics uh, as well as Nemesis being this constant presence yes. chasing you around. It also introduced a crafting system. Yeah, which is um, actually, I usually I hear the words crafting system and I break out in hives and yeah. it makes me want to play the game less. But actually, the crafting system in Resident Evil 3 is actually pretty good. It is, because I suppose it, it's kind of, it's an expansion of the crafting system that had been there from day one stealthily, which is combining the herbs to make more effective healing items. Yeah, your, your healing items can be the green herbs, red herbs, and blue herbs, and the way you combine them make different healing properties. Yeah, so in the third game, they kind of expanded that, that you could get different types of gunpowder and combine them to make different types of ammunition. Yeah, and actually, in execution, it actually works really well, and it actually does add a kind of um, a new level of it because you've got to make these decisions because you have a, a fixed amount of item space again, mm-hmm. and you kind of want to wait until you get, let's say, I, I, I might be a bit wrong here, but I'm, I, I, I get the gist of it. Combining gunpowder A with gunpowder A gives you handgun ammo. Compa- combining gunpowder A with gunpowder B gives you shotgun ammo, etc. Yeah. And you might be kind of waiting to get gunpowder B because you want that, that shotgun ammo. But yeah. you might not have the item space or, you know, you might just be in, in dire needs to kind of um, mix your, your um, gunpowder to get handgun ammo. And it actually does work really well in terms of uh, strategizing as well, but also kind of the game making you fail in other ways. Yeah, it's just it's it's just one more source of pressure on you as the player. One more thing to keep track of, one more ball up in the air, um, which is kind of, in a way, what these games are all about, is giving you enough things to take care of that eventually one of them will slip, and then you have to deal with the consequences of that. And then Nemesis shoots you with a rocket launcher. And then Nemesis shoots you with a rocket launcher while sh- shouting stars. I think we can um, talk about these these two games um, at the same time, but I, I, I already want to bring up the remake, if you don't mind. Yep, absolutely. But yeah. I, I think, I think, I actually think, Kev, Kev, I actually, no, I actually think. Say it, buddy. Say it. I think the PS One one is better. Liam. Yeah. I agree. You agree? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, the, no. The, the whole um, golden age that Capcom have been in with the Resident Evil franchise didn't hit a speed bump with the Resident Evil Three remake. It's still a really enjoyable game, and I say this with every game I played in 2020. I'll always remember for being a 2020 game. It was yep. there at a really kind of um, good time. To, mm-hmm. you wanted media even if it was a media about a virus outbreak in a city it was still it was still a good game to play right it was good um distraction but there's something kind of low effort about it isn't there i don't want to be that that's not harsh when i say it out loud but there's something off about it there is it feels like do you remember when we were talking about the the remake of the of the first game we said that like um what the remake did was it took all the things that the first game had done well and expanded on them Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like in the remake of three, they've kind of fixed the wrong things. Mm-hmm. They've they've patched out the stuff that made 
the first game sort of interesting and idiosyncratic and what they've ended up with is a absolutely not bad but extremely straightforward and very short resi story i'll I'll take a straightforward and short kind of resident evil game with the classic trappings you know than anything that came out you know around resident evil 6 time you know yeah, Do you know what I mean? It was sure. still it's it still remains like a return to form for the franchise, but yeah, just kind of um an unexciting, unambitious one. Yeah. Um I just feel like the Raccoon City, despite being you know, beautifully rendered and much more high fidelity, it felt smaller. The scope yeah. of it felt smaller. It, it it really did feel like in the first game, yeah, you're, even you're moving to, through to, different districts and stuff. In this, yeah, even in like, comparison to a PS1 game, like it felt yeah. smaller, which is crazy. Yeah, and it it very quickly becomes very linear. And I I know the original game does in its back half become kind of very linear. You move from set piece to set piece, um, but it just because the street section felt much larger in scope in the original, yeah you didn't feel cheated when it gets to the very linear stuff. Whereas in this game, because it's so short and because the, the open bit doesn't feel that open, it kind of feels like, it feels like you're, you're, you're listening to the greatest hits of Resident Evil 3 rather than the best work, you know? <laughs> and then they straight up remove places as well. Like it's weird for yeah. the PS1 game to have more locations and, you know, but like, I, I don't want to be super negative because I, I really enjoyed it. But the biggest problem is that like Nemesis is the iconic monster who hunts you through the game and he's massively being usurped usurped now by mr x like i said because his implementation in the resident evil 3 remake kind of left a lot to be desired i thought he didn't feel like such a constant presence as mr x did in the resident evil 2 remake or even even the resident evil 3 sorry the the original resident evil 3 yeah it definitely felt like you encountered him for like scripted set pieces yeah whereas in nemesis it did feel like he was this constant presence hunting you down and there's a kind of an, another fun wrinkle in the original resident evil 3 kev where if you want to attempt to waste your ammo on nemesis you can't kill him but yeah. you can fight him and if you defeat him you can can't you get parts like to build like a special gun uh yeah yeah so that's another kind of thing you kind of have to juggle you know yeah and also one thing that's worth mentioning because of how delightfully odd it is is the sort of choose your adventure elements in oh nemesis. yeah 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 like when you're stuck behind a counter in a restaurant and you have the idea yeah, of, yeah like you, nemesis, nemesis barges in and the game pauses and basically offers you like do you want to try and go this way or do you want to hide down here it's, it's, it's that's very kind of um it's not major like it's not like a major innovation within games but it's a fun aspect of it and it seems yeah. odd that they'd also rip that out of the remake yeah, like it, it, like you said, not mechanically super interesting, but just a kind of weird thing that was part of the charm of the original game. That it, it just strikes me as odd to not include even just one sort of thing as a reference. Have an NPC offer you a choice or something. Yeah, you know. But I don't know. It um, we've discussed a lot of things that we didn't like about it, and I think we might be giving the impression that it's worse than it's it is. It's a really good game. It's, it's a really good game, but it's just, um, I, I don't, I want kind of rave about it, you know? Yeah. Especially if it's, it's sandwiched between Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 8, two far better games, you know? Oh the yeah, remakes, unquestionably, remakes. yeah. And Resident Evil 7 before that as well. It's just, it's the worst out of a really good run of Resident Evil games that Capcom would make, but I still think it's a really good game. 
And like yeah. in terms of like um, other Resident Evils, you know, and, and spin-off games, <gasps> it's probably still in the top ten, I'd say, or just out of it, maybe. Like, it's, oh yeah, yeah, easily. of course, it's going to be good, you know. Yeah. And also, uh, it uh, has a uh, Carlos. Yes. <laughs> and he's kind of shared in the original one, but I like him in the new one. Yeah, it helps that you play as him for one of the best segments of the game. Yeah. Oh, there's, yeah, there's an amazing part in a hospital where you're uh, exactly yeah. bombarded by zombies. And it kind of, that seems a little bit less exciting than um, a boss fight, but it's one of the tenser one of those things, kind of a hold the fort kind of um, shootout in a game that I've ever done. Yeah, it's it. I suppose that's a mechanic that shows up in a couple of Resi games where you kind of yeah. have to just fight against waves of enemies and hold your position for a bit. But it is definitely one of the better implementations of that sort of thing because you're in this this cramped lobby of a hospital. There's a couple of pillars you can kind of kite enemies around to buy yourself some time. There's a counter you can hide behind for cover, but if you get trapped back there, you're fucked. So you're, you're constantly on the move and, and making decisions all the while just absolutely rattling through ammo and hoping yeah. <laughs> the next zombie you put down will be the last one. And it's not. And it never is. But yeah, in terms of like the three games we talked about today, the three original PS1 games, it is, it's weird. It, it, it's a shame because the two remakes of Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2 are so exciting as remakes even, as video games, but as remakes. And then the Resident Evil 3 one is kind of a, a bit of a, a wet fire, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, a bit. I suppose that kind of leads me on to a question. Um mm-hmm. Like, obviously, we've discussed three games with remakes today. We've mentioned that Resident Evil 4 is getting a remake. Obviously, there was the recent news that, for some bizarre reason, The Last of Us is getting a ground-up remake. Yeah, I don't get that one, but whatever. That's that's neither here nor there with the old Resident Evil chat. Yeah, but I suppose rather than the Resident Evil chat, it's more the, how do you feel about this remake culture in general? I... Am I just old, Kev, or is a 2013 um, action game... Just not, you don't need to remake it. I, I also don't think they need to remake Dead Space, which is also being yeah. remade. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I look back at games from that era, and of course, they're not going to have the graphic fidelity of, of a PlayStation 5, you know, or whatever these days, yeah. but they look fine to me. I, I find Last of Us to be such a waste of resources and time, to be honest. Yeah, it you is. Make anything else with that property, you know? I'm not even talking about, like, let's get Last of Us 3. I'm talking about you could do anything else, you know? Yeah, it's a baffling decision, especially because it seems that they haven't done any new mocap or recorded any new voice lines for it. So it is going to be... It's just going to be the gameplay of 2, isn't it? The much it's, the game... better, it's the much better gameplay of, of Last of Us 2 put on to Last of Us 1 with, with the better graphics. Yeah, but I think it is kind of emblematic of, um, I guess, what I would consider to be an issue with game design at the moment, that there's this... There's A, seems to be a reluctance to just take risks on new ideas and B, the preference within the gaming industry seems to be make a remake of something and sell it for 70 bucks rather rather than making the original game available. There doesn't seem to be, there's no interest in preserving the history and the integrity of these original games. It's more, how can they make the most money off the IP by reselling us the same thing again, you know? Yet I still have the attitude, like if you told me, you know, what kind of what you want from a, a Resident Evil, let's say go back a few years, like do you want a remake of Resident Evil 2 or do you want a brand new Resident Evil game? I'd be like, brand new Resident Evil game. But yeah. then we got the remake of Resident Evil 2 and it's like an excellent game. So I, I agree with you that this kind of age of kind of remakes is not a good thing. But someone like Capcom kind of proved that at least they're not going to half-ass it. At least they're going to make interesting games. I, I genuinely think Resident Evil 2 remake is one of the better games of the last few years, you know? 
Yeah, no, I, so I, if, I, we're, if we're getting great games out of this, I would, I, I personally would lump into Final Fantasy VII remake with it as well, which is a game that's not perfect, but if nothing else, at least it doesn't feel just like a complete retread of Final Fantasy VII. Like a Final Fantasy VII OG and Final Fantasy VII remake can still exist in this world as two separate entities to me. Yeah, and I think that's probably the way to do it. You know, yeah, I guess I suppose. Would you feel the same way if Seven was no longer available? Yeah, no, I'd I want to I want to be able to play old games. I yeah. one of my least favorite things about the industry is um, the lack of uh, pres- preserving old games because I want to have access to old games at all times. You know, especially now since I'm you know not living with my mommy and my daddy anymore, and I don't have all my consoles just there because I still have the old collection. Now that I'm kind of out out and about, like, I want to think I want to play this game. Why can't I just like get it on a modern console? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but are we, are, how about we end on that like negative, pessimistic note? Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> but no, uh, just to kind of sum it up, Kev, Resident Evil One, Two, and Three, and their three remakes. All right, that's six games. Okay. Yep. Rank them. Ooh. Go, um, go! You didn't know this was coming. Go, I go, didn't. go! Um, we have to finish the episode. Come on! <laughs> God damn it! I hate you so much. Why do I keep agreeing to do this? <laughs> um best one is one remake then two remake then two then three remake then original one then original two no hold on i don't oh original oh i'm, I'm lost oh, my brain yeah, no I said, I said what i said you said and that's it folks that's that's Kev's <laughs> ranking of the resident evil games that we talked about Oh, I think we'll I said have, we, I think we, we, I said we'll, two four times there. Yeah, we'll have that list up online for everyone to <laughs> read. <laughs> no, um, three amazing games, six amazing games. Even uh, I kept. I don't think this is going to be the last time we're going to chat about Resident Evil. I have a feeling. Yeah, if you're yeah. up for it, of course. I don't want to. Put yeah, it absolutely. I think at, yeah. at some stage we need to. Yeah, to yeah. Don't process don't, don't, six. Six or, or you know maybe one of the other ones. You know, don't anyone go expecting anything anytime soon, but. Um, Kev, even outside of the podcast, Resident Evil is one of my favorite games to discuss with you. Um, we've discussed it many times over the years. So thanks for joining me on this episode. No problem, mate. Absolute pleasure as always. And everyone, please, if you could share this podcast with friends, that would just be dandy. And thanks so much for listening to Hey Look Listen. Bye, everyone. Bye.